Amen, amen, amen. Well, good morning, church. To you in the room, to you online, we close out a series today, Herd Immunity. And I'm going to start with some uh, confession. All right, so everybody in the room right, has stuff that gets on your nerves, right? 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 Here's the, here's, the, here's the commitment. I won't judge you for yours. You don't judge me for mine. All right? So I'm going to share you. One of my biggest on my nerves deals, and I won't be the only one in the room, but if you uh, feel differently, that's fine. But what gets on my last nerve is these folks that come to your door and ring your doorbell and try to sell you something. I got no patience for it. Now, I know we got salespeople in the church, salesmen, saleswomen. I appreciate the hustle. I was in sales for three years. I learned a ton about life and people, and there's no shame in that game. Nothing wrong with selling something. What's wrong is when you step on my property, uninvited. I don't know you. You don't know me. It is not 1957, right? In the 50s, some of you are alive. That made perfect sense, but not for a long time does it make sense for a stranger to walk onto my property, ring my doorbell, and try to wash my windows. <laughs> or tell me I might have termites. I have no, so my, my wife and I have a little different take. I feel like we should be kind, that God has called us to be kind, but, but, but the, the definition of rudeness kind of, we don't really agree on that. So I'm polite, right? And I've grown through this. I used to listen to the spiel, and now I just open the book. I'm not interested, no thank you, and I close it immediately. She's like, that's kind of rude. It's like, that's not rude at all. I said, no, thank you. I'm not going up to some store and saying, hey, I don't want you. They came to my house. They rained. I don't know you. Why should you step foot? Like, I think that's a crime, right? You're walking, that's trespassing, right? You should misdemeanor or something, and you're trying to sell. It's so weak. It's so lazy. If you're a salesman, then go sell. Spend the money. Facebook ad, Google. People are going to look for termite stuff. They're going to Google it. Get your name at the top of the list. Do your thing. Just stay off my yard. Now, I was going to preach this and start with this, and I was done with this like Thursday, yesterday, 10 a.m., Saturday, my doorbell rings. Now, by the time that, you know, the, I mean, oh, my goodness, I didn't even go into. Some of you that are in a stage of life, God bless you. You know, back in the day when I had little kids, at one for about three months, two months, we had three little babies under three years old, and they never would go down at the same time, and we finally get them to nap on a Saturday morning, and then the doorbell rings, and the dog barks, and all the naps are over, and you think, I don't care if my lawnmower blade just fell off, and you're selling lawnmower blades for 90% off. I'm no way am I buying anything from you. Doorbell rings yesterday. Dogs bark, whatever. We're like, what is going on? Somebody, somebody, somebody. I said, no. I thought the word kind of got out. Take me off your list. I always tell them that. So by the time I get to the door, I see the dude walking out of the driveway. So, I mean, if you're going to be that guy that rings, at least stick around for a chance for me to close the door in your face, right? He's already out the driveway. I don't think anything of it. Um, later, I open the door and a flyer falls out. So he had put a flyer in the door. He wants to... Uh, clean gutters and, and wash windows. There's a whole list of things. It's got his name, his email. His name's Dallas, 
by the way. So if you know Dallas, God bless him and you. Uh, and I'm just telling you, this is me. When, when, when I need my windows washed, I'll either wash them or I'll look it up and, get, and I will hire anybody in the greater Wake County area to do my windows except one dude. There's one dude. I don't even care if your name is Dallas and you're not him. I'm not hiring you because you came to my house. You rang my doorbell. I'm not okay with it. Now that's me. If that doesn't get on your nerves, if you're the people, you know what? You're the problem. They, why do they do that? Why do all these companies send people to your house? Because it works. Some of you are giving them business. If you would stop, then they would stop. So I'm, I told you I wouldn't be mad at you, you'd be mad at me, but I just broke that. So that's what happened yesterday. That's my pet peeve on my nerves. But if you got into like the business model and you talk to these companies and these people, you say, why, why do you got to do that? They would say, because it's works. And they would also say this. You don't know that you need this, but you do. You really need what I got. You need it so bad, you may not even know you need it, but here's what we find. Yes, we tick some people off. Yes, we wake some babies up. Yes, we ruin some naps. But the people that actually use our product, they never regret it. They're never mad about us ringing a doorbell. Six months later, they're like, thank you. This is, I didn't know how much I needed this. That's the counter. It's still weak to me, but that's the counter argument. As we talk about being a gospel-centered church, and we're going to apply herd immunity a little different today, that's our stance, right? To a hurt, broken, dying, lost world, you need this. You may not even know you need this. And are we willing to create some uncomfortable situations to get this amazing, incredible news of rescue and adoptions, how we define the gospel. What are we willing to do? And how are we willing to do it? Because it's not that the dude had a bad product. It was his approach that bothered me. Now, that's my problem, right? We'll deal with that. But as far as the gospel and your life and how you live and sometimes the way we talk and take Jesus into the world, sometimes it, it helps people tune out more than tune in, right? We're a church for the untold and unconvinced. We say that. So, so we've seen just people that don't go to church, don't know Jesus. We've seen that happen in our six plus years. It's been beautiful. And we always try to speak and have a heart for people. We don't want anybody coming in here the first time and feeling like they don't know the language or they're using word. Like we, we just want, we want to be a church for the untold unconvinced. And our message to you, if that's you online or if that's you in the room, if you're not so sure about Jesus or you don't follow him or no one's ever really told you what the gospel really is, our message is to you, we really believe this. Like we got, we, we talk about being fully alive. We talk about soul being satisfied. We talk about transformation, not transaction. Those aren't just words to us. Like that's real. We want that for you. We, we think you were actually made and created for this. But we don't want to take this amazing message that God's given us, and we don't want to lose it because of how we take it to people, right? I, I wouldn't have bought anything this dude was selling because of his approach. He lost me before he ever got to the substance of what he was selling. I think we, church, can do the same thing today with how we approach people. So this, this series that we end today, uh, it's, it's based on, okay, H-E-R-D, herd immunity, you get that. We've talked about that plenty. Um, of enough of us, right, we can, we can 
prevent any of us from getting infected with this thing that nobody wants. Well, we, we went the other way, H-E-A-R-D, and said, hey, there's a beautiful infection. There's a Jesus that's real, and he's spread, and, and different times in history, he's spread like, like crazy, like wildfire through his people. But we live in a culture where that's difficult because people have heard it. They're immune. Why? Because they think, I already know what you're talking about. And as I've heard it, I don't need to hear it again. And they've heard some version that's not real or they've been involved in some messed up church situation or whatever, or they've just been around it. So they don't really lean in when we're talking about Jesus because they think, yeah, I know all that. So we're fighting against that. So this morning, we're gonna close the series. This one's called, this message is called Helping People Hear. All right, and maybe you're somebody in the room that, that we're helping to hear and maybe you're a follower of Jesus and, and God wants to help you help somebody hear the message of Jesus. Because here's what's so beautiful about the message of Jesus, different than any other thing. It's for everybody. Like, you can't come to the stage, and we're not going to ask you to do this. You can't come to the stage and get on a mic and say, well, I got this friend, and I got this cousin, and you don't understand, and they're so lost, and they're so hurt, and they're so broken. and so mad. There is nobody in your life that Jesus isn't the answer for. That's encouraging, right? So, we get to take this into this crazy environment, 2021, and all that is, and we want to take Jesus to people in a way where they actually hear us, and that is our job, right? It's not my job, pastor job, it's our job. Uh, the scripture calls us ambassadors, like we're representatives. Look at this crazy verse from Corinthians, one of my favorite, verse 20. It says, we Christians were therefore Christ ambassadors. Therefore, it's going back to like he's made new creations. We're all made new, right? As though God were making his appeal through us. We beg you, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled, bring people back to God. We are his ambassadors. What does it say? As though God... Why doesn't God show up in people's visions like he did in the scripture? Why doesn't he just knock on people's door and send Jesus back to earth? Because he chooses in his perfect plan, he's making his appeal to bring people home and make people whole. He wants to make that appeal how? Through you. Right, not through preaching, although that's a piece of it, right? But not through you standing on the street corner or going home today to your neighborhood and getting beside the stop sign with a big old sign. Like, stop, right? None of that. It is your life, your mouth, that God will make his appeal through us. That people would be reconciled. What's more beautiful than being brought back into a whole relationship with your creator, Father, God? Paul says, I implore you, you're doing this on Christ's behalf. So we want to talk this morning about how. How do we help people hear the gospel? You can't make it happen, right? But you can help people and you can definitely hurt people, right? And some of us, we don't even try. The stats are so ugly, y'all. The stats are so ugly in America. Most church-going Americans, 95% according to one survey, 95% of people that are in church somewhere across the country today have never opened their mouth and shared their faith and helped lead somebody to Jesus, right? So, so we're, we're fighting against that. We're hoping that stat changes over time. And if, and if that's you, right, then maybe God wants to speak something specific. And some of you would say, you know, I'd rather, you remember the old phrase, I'd sermon than hear a sermon any day. Okay, right, that's fine, right? 
I get the sentiment of that. The problem is that the scripture constantly talks about us witnesses. That's what he calls us. We are ambassadors and witnesses. And the, and the framework of the word witness is a courtroom. It's actually saying you testify, not on a stage or in a courtroom, but in life and in relationship, you testify to who God is and what he's done in your life. It's very hard to testify without your mouth. Right? So you, you got to use your mouth and your tongue. He's like, well, I'm not polished. I'm not good. That's great. You don't need to be any of that. Here's what you need to be. Let's go through. I got a beautiful list for you. Don't you love a list, church? Number one, you got to have a burden. Right? When uh, Raph uh, Gonzalez, our associate pastor, we talk when we're working on messages, and we, we, we can't come up here without a burden. So as we're talking about people that don't know Jesus, you've got to have a burden. Right, what, what, um, what, what if, this is a stupid example, but I'll give it to you. What if, what if in my back pocket I had a, a shot, right, that was not a vaccine, but it was the cure to COVID? Like the cure. Like you take this shot, not even a double. You only have to come back in three or four weeks. One shot, boom, cured. You, you can't have it. You can't get it. And if you do have it, you'll never get it again. Boom, one shot. And it works, and it's real, and you don't believe me, and then you find out it works. And then somebody's like, dude, how long you had this? Oh, I had this back when it, back when it hit, like, you know, what, in 2019, like before it was even on the news, I had this. What? Like, we're thankful because there's a cure, but why has it been in your back pocket? Well, see, here's the thing. I just love people, and I know it hurts. And that's kind of intrusive. And who am I? And they might not believe me. And you know what? I just didn't want to hurt people because that shot, like it's a big needle. And I just, you know, I just, I was uncomfortable. So it just was easier to leave it in my pocket. Right? You would hit me, right? You would smack me at best. You should. Right? Because that doesn't make any sense. Like I got a cure for thing that's changed our lives and ruined so many lives and done all this damage, but it wouldn't make any sense to say, yeah, I would hold the cure back because, you know, it would hurt going in the arm. We don't want to share Jesus in a way that hurts, but there is some offensiveness to the gospel because you're saying you need something that you can't get on your own. But in that, it starts with just having a burden caring about people and like, they need this. And I'm willing to do and be uncomfortable and go out on a limb for me, even for them, because I really believe, do you really believe that Jesus is the answer? Because if you believe he is, and you're walking with people that don't have that hope that Vasti spoke so well of, like you're not gonna be able to keep your mouth shut. Where's it come from? It comes from a burden. Number two, a motive must be love that leads to action, right? In the old days, I could preach a message like this. We could all put a name on a card. Here's who you're gonna tell about Jesus this week. All right, you're gonna talk to them, right? And then, you know, we'll have some and we'll come back and like, how'd you do and how'd you do? And, and a really good, you know, manipulative preacher, pastor, man, I could, we can make you go talk to somebody about Jesus. Now, you don't want to and you're not happy about it and you don't, you know, you're kind of mad as you're doing it. You're like, hey, you know, you want to come to church or something? Sometime? That's fine. Yeah, I know you're busy. That's cool, man. Let's go do whatever. We're gonna, right? That's none of that. It has to be a burden that comes from, I just love you. 
This has actually changed my life. I have a relationship with my creator. He loves me at my worst moment. He gives me stuff I can never get on my own. There's a relationship that's there every single day. I was made for it and so were you. And I just love you and this may not come out smooth and I may not do this perfectly, but I'm motivated by love and I gotta do something because I love you. Some of you might remember in the old days, I won't do it today because I did it. You can only do this really once in a church and get away with it. But we didn't have the, the drum shield like this on the theater stage, and we were preaching about something, about sharing our faith. And I used the verse. It's not on the screen, but Paul said in another section of Corinthians, he said, hey, if you, if you do all this ministry, you do all this good without loving, you're like a clanging cymbal, right? And most People preaching this would have hit the symbol to make the point, and you couldn't really hear me, but me being me, like I just, I hit it like 13 times. My wife told me later, she's so encouraging, but she was like, it was a little much, right? <laughs> Which I thought, that's what I was looking for, right? That's kind of my motto in life, a little much, right? So, so but, but the point is, nobody could hear what I was saying or listen. It was kind of funny, kind of dumb, right? Because I'm just, and Paul used that example, right? If you're trying, if you're going to go share your faith, if you're going to go, what, stop. If you don't love people, the people that vote different than you, look different than you, smell different than you, right? Believe different than you. If you don't love them, then they're not going to hear anything you say. You're just going to be a clanging symbol. You can actually tell someone the truth. And repel them from Jesus. You can tell them the truth and actually push them further away from Jesus. Your words are true, but if there's no love in them, right? And, and, and honestly, when I think, think about Dallas, that dude that I started this message with, right, you know what? Maybe, maybe that was an opportunity. Maybe as much as I have my own, you know, get on my nerves, pet peeve about solicitors and people that come to my door, maybe, maybe I don't know his story. Maybe what drove him, if I knew the story of what drove him to go around my neighborhood and passing out these flyers, if, if I knew that, I might weep for the pain and the brokenness. I don't know. I don't know what he's going through. You got to respect the hustle. Like, it's not easy. A lot of people won't go and knock on a door. He's doing that to get a job, to work, right, to make money, right? And maybe God brought him to my house because he didn't, he thought he was trying to make money, but what he needed was somebody to share and love him enough to give him some hope of Jesus. There's no, there's no preacher story. There's no happy ending where I chased him down, told him about Jesus in Dallas. Stand up for everybody. Like, I never saw him again. I didn't do anything. It was in running through this message last night that I just wanted Dallas to be a funny start, which you guys didn't laugh like I thought you would. I just, that's all I wanted that to be. But then it's like, that's a real dude that God brought on my property. Maybe I should open the door now and that should be my gospel. Like, what are they going to do? You know what salesmen don't do? They don't walk away. They don't. They're always going to try to bring it back. And well, I'll just, that's a challenge. Like you keep trying to talk about windows. I'll keep talking about Jesus. Let's see who quits first. <laughs> it comes from the motive of love. Number three, and this is so, this is the big one for, for we got to lead smart. When I say lead, what do you start a spiritual conversation with? You got to be smart. Don't start with, man, I hear, I hear hell is so hot, bro. 
It's a bad start. Don't start with politics. Don't start with all kinds of stuff. We got to lead smart and find common ground. And that's harder with some than others, right? But there is common ground somewhere because you're human. Are the common ground of humanity, like just lead, like take some pressure off and just be normal, right? Man, we struggle to be normal. Lead smart, find common ground. Number four, always tell people who God is. He's a relentless God. He never gives up on anybody. Anybody means everybody. Everybody means you and everybody you know. People don't know who God is. It's been hijacked. The narrative, there's all kinds of things. I've talked to, I've been blessed to, to have relationship and be in conversation with, with plenty of atheists, agnostics, skeptics, used to be, left the church. And when I ask them to describe the God you don't believe in or describe the God you don't follow, almost always it's a God that I don't follow either. They don't know who God is and they've turned their back on a God that doesn't exist. We have got to boldly, graciously tell people who God is from Scripture and who we've seen God to be in our own lives. Number five, with that, you always give hope. I just love how God works. A raft was supposed to be on stage today in our original plan, and that didn't work out. He's in the back with the kids. So, so midweek or late midweek, Raph reached out to Vasti and asked her to kind of talk in between those first two songs. And I didn't know what she was going to say this morning. And she talked about hope, right? And she probably didn't know it was in, it was number six on our list, but God did, or number five on our list. But you don't have to have the answers for all of people's stuff. I certainly don't. But you always give hope. And sometimes people don't even want to hear hope. They just want to sit and how down and out they are. And that's okay. But you always, there is hope for your situation. It doesn't mean that everything's going to be made better tonight, but there is a path out. There is a path where you have joy and peace in your life. That's always true. And sometimes they know it. Sometimes they just need to hear it. They need to hear another human, not a pastor. They need another human to say, you know what? There's hope. Even when the situation shows no hope, there's hope in Jesus. Not some sort of like cliche, everything will be okay. No, that there's actually a plan and there's hope that you could be full and whole. Always give hope. Number six, always include repentance slash surrender, right? Those are ugly words in our culture. They're beautiful words. We gotta reclaim them. They're biblical words. Repentance and surrender are beautiful, wonderful things. Here's what our culture has kind of taught us and we've kind of backed up. We say, hey, I'm gonna I'm tell you about the love of Jesus. Great. We're gonna tell you about being rescued and adopted into his family. Great, right? And then we're just gonna leave it there. And I don't wanna get into any of this other like repentance, like that kind of is judgmental and I'm just gonna leave it. Listen, it's not loving to tell people there's a destination and a God who loves you and then burn down the bridge to get there. The only bridge from the grace and love and Jesus and rescue and adoption to actually receive it and live in it and not just hear about it, the bridge is surrender. The bridge to walk across is our repentance. Repentance just means... You're owning your sin. You're turning from it. You're allowing God to change your mind and your life. Change is a good thing. Let's love the word. So not first, going back to the list, right? Leading smart. You don't open with repentance. But if you have a relationship and credibility and you're talking and God's using you in somebody's life, at some point, you've got to include 
the beautiful bridge of repentance and surrender because it's life-changing. Number seven, always close with resurrection. Our salespeople always, you know, that old ABC, always be closing. Here's your close. No matter what, it's about the resurrection. People got all kinds of questions about all kinds of things. I've had people like, man, I would come to Christ, but I just can't figure out the dinosaurs. All right, right? And there's stuff out there, and there's stuff in Scripture, Leviathan and Job. Like, there's, there's a conversation to be had about dinosaurs, and we'll have it. But that's not the key. That's not going to make or break your decision to follow Jesus. We're going to talk about dinosaurs because I love you, and that's, that's what we need to do maybe. But in the end, we're always going to come back to, did Jesus raise from the dead? If he did not, if it was a fable, if it was a myth, if it was a legend, if it was something to make us feel better at funerals, if it was any of that, then it is worthless. Christianity and the principles and family values and all that, none of that matters at all if Jesus didn't raise from the dead. But if he did, if he did, we can talk about surrender, and it's a choice, but at the end of the day, if someone has enough combination of a power and love, all the religious people that ever walked this earth, and, and how could you set yourself apart? How could you say, I'm different? How could you say, I'm actually God in a human body? How could you validate such a thing? How could you love people enough to die on a cross and then make it, make it stick 2,000 years later? The only way is to defeat the one enemy of humanity that no one else can defeat, to raise up out of grave. And if he did that, if he did that, then he has full authority in your life, full authority in life and death and everything. Number eight, we cannot be overly results oriented, right? Some of you, God's going to use, I believe, like we were praying this message, praying this morning, God's going to use you to open your mouth and have a conversation you've never had. When you have that conversation, do not be overly results-oriented, meaning I, said, I talked to him about my faith, and nothing happened. You don't know that, right? Don't, don't own the results. The results are so spiritual. They're so on God, not on you. Now, I said don't be overly results-oriented because if you come to me like, I've invited 4,000 people to church. Not one of them has come. That might be a you problem. Right? So at some point, you might be, let's, let's go back to this list. Your approach might be wrong. But, but that's, that's the exception. That's not the rule. In general, you just do and be. And Jesus was about to send his disciples out to some scary situations, and they were going to be arrested. He told them even for their faith, and he said, don't, don't worry about it. Like, you'll have to go before people, and you'll be on trial because you're talking about me. Don't even prepare anything. I'll give you the words. If he'll give them the words in that situation, when you're going on his behalf to make God's appeal through you, he'll give you the words. It doesn't have to be pretty. It doesn't have to be polished. And whatever the results are, are on him. Now, that's a list right there, huh? It's a good-looking list. Can I get an amen? You like that list? All right, that's not my list. I would like to claim it, but that would be false. We're going to look at one, one crazy situation that Paul got himself into in Acts 17. And you're going to see where this list actually comes from. Here's what Paul did. Right? You're like, man, if I saw Jesus raising the dead, I'd be all in. Well, Paul went to places where nobody saw it. The, start, the word was getting out. Some places he would go to, they never heard. They'd never even heard the name of Jesus. Right? So he'd go throughout the world, and he would preach the gospel. And miraculously, people would 
follow and become Christians. Well, he's in Athens and he's waiting on his posse. He's got a bunch of his guys and, and women as well. And they're not there yet. They're supposed to meet up and do this ministry. So he's just hanging out in Athens, Greece, not Georgia. That'd change everything if he was in Georgia. He was in Greece. Seven, or verse 16, Acts 17. While Paul was waiting for them, his group, in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So Paul's walking around as a Jesus guy. And in Athens, Greece, not Georgia, there's idols everywhere. People are worshiping idols. Now, we don't do that today like the physical, but we, we worship idols all day, right? Like you don't have to look hard to see people lives for different idols, whether it's success or image or body image or money or relationship or some good things, some bad things. But they're idols if we worship them or live our lives for them. And it says Paul was what? Distressed. Like he was distressed. He was troubled in his spirit because all these people, like he, he could have just moved on. Like, man, Athens is not it, man. These people all worship idols. Let's go to the next spot. But he couldn't. Why? Because there's a burden. He was so burdened that these people are worshiping something that's not real. Right? Sometimes what Christians in America, what we're really good at is being mad at people instead of hurting for them. And guess what? They can tell. When you have an interaction, they can tell if I'm mad at you or I'm better than you or I'm condescending towards you because why would you live for such an idol versus the heart that is, man, I'm just hurting for you because I know that's empty and you may have experienced that yet. You may not have, but I just know that you were made for more than this and I hurt for you. You gotta have a burden, verse 17. So he, Paul, he reasoned in the synagogue and both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. His burden caused him to do something, the motive of love that led him to action. And yes, there was some preaching, right? And that's a whole different thing. That's what I'm doing right now. And, and most of you are not called to stand on a stage and preach. But that's not all he was doing. What else does it say? He went to the mall. He went to the mall and just whoever was there relationally, and some of people, it was strangers, which is a whole nother conversation. But he had, he was reasoning with people, right? The difference between preaching and what he was doing is it was an interaction. People need conversation. I can preach, but they're gonna have questions, right? When you bring somebody to church and God touches their heart, who's there at lunch to have a conversation? Not me. I ain't going to lunch with all your friends, right? You know how long that would take, right? It's gotta be you. Verse 18, a group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers began to debate with him. Some of them asked, what's this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seemed to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. He's preaching the good news, the gospel, and included in that, obviously, the resurrection. And he's just saying, this life ain't it. So many people are trying to worship these gods to get the gods to give them favor for this life. And he's like, this life, when it ends, it's not over. Like there's something coming called forever and it's beautiful and you wanna be ready. And God sent his son to die for you and raise from the dead and it's real and it happened. And for you that would think, man, I can't talk to anybody about Jesus. I'm still figuring this out or I'm not good at talking or, or language issues or, or knowledge issues or speech impediment issues, whatever. This gives me a lot of comfort. Paul was a pretty good dude, 
at this. I call him the godfather of church planting. He planted all these churches all over. He's, you know, an original dude. He, he wrote more of the New Testament than anybody else. He could speak. He could preach. He could do it all. And he preached his guts out in Athens. And what was their response? The absolute worst thing a preacher could ever hear. Right? I would much rather you say, I disagree. I'm offended. I'm, all of that is better than, which is, I don't even know what you're talking about, man. What are you trying to say? Like, this is babbling on and on. Like, what? It doesn't even make sense. That's what they said to Paul. Maybe say that to you. You, you just do what you're supposed to do and trust the rest. So that's the setup for verse 19. So then they take him, Paul, and they brought him to a meeting of the Oropagus. Oropagus is all like the smart, you'll get it in a second, where they said to him, hey, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? You're bringing some strange stuff, man, strange ideas to our ears, and we'd like to know what they mean. Here's a crazy verse. Verse 21, all the Athenians, that's Greece, not Georgia, and the foreigners who live there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. You know what this is right here, Adam Hardy? This is first century Twitter. That's what this is. All they did is sat around and argued with each other about who was right. Nothing ever got accomplished. It was the smartest, most scholarly, whatever. Like, hey, what do you think? Hey, here's a dude. He's got some ideas. Bring him in. We'll judge him. We'll critique him. Like, that's what this Oropagus was. And Paul's in front of him. And I just love how Paul preached to, these, to this group. This is not a Christian group, right? We always got people in the room, and I love it. Almost always, it's been a little different in the pandemic, almost always in our church on Sunday, there's somebody in the room that does not believe or is not sure about Jesus, and I love that, right? But overwhelmingly, we, we always say to some younger preachers, right, when, when like preach to a group where the minority are believers, right? And it doesn't happen in church. It's usually in conversation. Paul, was all alone. It was him, Jesus, at the Twitter verse, Oropagus. Here's what he said. Paul stood up, verse 22. He stands up in the meeting and he says, people of Athens, Greece, not Georgia. I see that in every way you are very religious. For I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing you worship. And this is what we say ignorant. We say, it's like that's an insult today. It, well, he wasn't insulting them. Here's what he said. I walked around your city. I found all these idols, but I found one and it said underneath it to an unknown God. Here's what Athens had done. We got the God of fire. We got the God of weather. We got the God of sex. We got the God of all this stuff. And we're given, you know, all this. We, we got to worship all these and keep them all happy so they can bless our lives. Well, you know what? We might have forgot a God. There's so many of them. So we'll just do an all an, an, an altar here to an unknown God. Anything we forgot, we'll throw it in there. Paul, which is messed up, right? Paul takes that common ground and he says, hey, I saw this idol that you don't know who it is. You know what? Since you don't know, I'm gonna help you out and tell you about the God you don't know. <laughs> how brilliant is that? If Paul did that today in 2021, do you know how many Christian religious bloggers and pastors would destroy him? They would say, you can't do that, Paul. That's not a real God. You're preaching false doctrine. You're being blasphemous. Paul knew what he was doing. He was gaining common ground. He was being a little bit shrewd. He's being a little bit smart. Jesus said, that's a good thing. Don't lie to people, but he just uses it to gain common ground to go somewhere because it's that important. Just find common ground. Verse 24, here's what he preached. The God who made the world and everything in it 
is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. Check this gospel out. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times and histories and the, and the boundaries of their lands. God, why did God do this? God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him, we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, uh-oh, common ground again. We are his offspring. Paul's quoting the rappers of the day. As some of your own poets have said, and he quotes a lyric, we are his offspring. You meet people where they are and you always tell people who God is and in that you give hope. He's saying to a bunch of idol-worshiping pagans, these are not Jewish people that need to understand the gospel and leave religion. These are pagans and he's saying to these pagans, hey, God came so that you could find him. And you're not that far. There's some hope. He wants to be found. It's in him that you live and move, and there's hope, and there's a chance that you could actually be his offspring, as you've heard your own poets say. Always tell people who God is. Always give hope. Verse 29. He says, therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, these objects, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to what? To repent. Yeah, you've been far. Yeah, you've been worshiping stuff that's man-made, and he doesn't go on a long thing about how ridiculous that is. like, hey, that's not what it is. And he's been really patient, and he's forgiven some stuff, but now Jesus has come. It's a new era. It's a new covenant, and he say, God commanded, listen to this phrase, all people everywhere. Pretty much takes care of everybody, doesn't it? All people everywhere have a mutual common command. What is it? To repent. We always include repentance and surrender. Verse 31, Paul ends with this. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man, Jesus, he has appointed. He has given what? Proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. You always close with the resurrection. Verse 32, when they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, which is like, you know, laughing, mocking. Others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. Verse 33, at that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, and also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. Right, a number of others. We don't even know the number. Was it, I want to know, was it dozens? Was it hundreds? Was it three? And it's kind of a preacher count. And he names two of them. It's like, and others, which is true. But it sounds like it's a bigger group. And, and for whatever reason, two of them got named, probably because they were more prominent. Damaris must have been a prominent woman in that Athens society. And then Dionysus, he was a member of the Areopagus Council. Like He was one of the Twitter dudes like sitting there judging people. And he was so moved that he followed Jesus that day through Paul's Message, I give you those verses to remember, we cannot be overly results-oriented. Paul preached the gospel through the power of the Holy Spirit. He didn't do anything wrong, and the reaction of some was to laugh at him. Some of you shy away from sharing your faith because when it doesn't go well,
Thank goodness Paul didn't think that. He preached his guts out. Everything he said was true by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the reaction of some, we don't get the percentages, but the reaction of some was they just made fun of him. It's going to happen. There's a group that made fun. There's a group that followed Jesus. And then there was a group in the middle that said, man, we want to hear some more. I bet if we take this message to our people, the people that you have already gained credit, brings in front of your path, the coworker, the friend, I bet some people might laugh at you, maybe to your face, maybe behind your back. I bet some are going to want to know more, and that's beautiful. And I bet some, by the power of the gospel, not the presentation, not the messenger, but the power of the message, will come to Christ. We plant and water, God makes things grow. I'm just saying, I don't know what you got planned this week. We get to turn the calendar month this week. Next Sunday, July 4th, falls on a Sunday. We'll be here. I don't know what you got going, but here's what I believe. There is nothing you could do this coming week more powerful and amazing to use you to help win a soul to Jesus. Like, what could you say? Meet me in the back. What could you say? Like, I got something better going this week than that. What could be more amazing than God using our messed up, you know, sinful, human, saved, rescued, adopted lives? We don't know how to say it. We're nervous. We just didn't come out. What could be cooler than God using a bunch of us, a bunch of ordinary, normal, a bunch of us to actually be a part of somebody getting saved? Getting free from the bondage of sin, of somebody getting rescued and knowing who they are in Jesus, adopted into his family to live forever. He doesn't want to show up in their dreams, although he does that. I don't want to say he doesn't want to. What, his, what he loves is you to change a life. My prayer is this. My prayer is one day out here in our baptismal, we'll baptize somebody at Relentless Church. And when we hear their story, it will be so-and-so didn't just bring me to church. No, 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 no. We're taking in a, they, they told me about Jesus in their life. And that was the beginning of me making a decision for Jesus. Who might that be in your life? If you don't know, I'm going to pray that maybe you do. If you've never made a decision, we would always love to walk you through the most important decision in life. I'm going to pray for you. And then I got two quick things before you go. Father, I thank you for Paul and just, and for Jesus mostly, and, and just what we can learn from Paul's approach to a very pagan place and just how he loved them, how he found common ground, how he gave them hope, how he just told them who you were and how he closed with resurrection. And God, we pray we'd find a way to do that in our own life, in our own circles, in our own environments, in our own conversations. God, we thank you so much for Sunday morning. God, we thank you that we can gather as you've called us to and worship together and grow together and do life together and hear your word together. But I pray this would be the true huddle before we go out and be the lights, as Vassie said, the, the shining lights in this dark world. Would you give us boldness and courage that's not of us, that's not our personality. Would you give us supernatural boldness and courage to love people well, and no matter what happens, that they would have no doubt that that woman or that man or that young, that they love me. Even if I don't believe what they believe. And God, would you do what only you can do in your supernatural power? Would you draw people to yourself that people would find wholeness in you through Jesus? We pray in his name. Amen. Two quick things. Uh, this is a big week for our church. Um, we have a, a summer 
camp for our RC students. So we have 20 teenagers and three adults that will leave tomorrow and be gone all week, um, a couple of hours away. And we've seen it over and over again. It's not just students. When adults, when humans separate themselves from the craziness and busyness of life, we're just able to hear God in a different way. So we've seen beautiful uh, decisions for Jesus made. We've seen all kinds of um, amazing spiritual growth packed into one week. So I just ask you as a church to pray for our 20 students, really pray for those three adults, you know what I'm saying, if you've ever been on a trip like that. So do that. If you're a parent, you'll get an email of that list, so this isn't necessarily for you. And, and don't do this to impress you, but if you're a praying person and you would want to pray for the names, um, we've got uh, on, on the welcome over here, if you come out here, as you're getting ready to leave to your right, there's a, a card stock, and it's got the names of the, of the young people going on this trip. If you would pray for them um, by name, all right, you can pray, pray for the kids, and God knows who that is, but we're just looking for, I think there's 18 of them. We'd love for 18 of you to pray by name for those people this week. It'll matter in their lives, so pray for them however you want. If you want to grab one, grab one. Um, the second announcement is, yes, we're here next week, July, our brand new series. It's called Out the Mouth, right? We're praying that our church talks differently a month from now than we do today. I don't want to give you any more than that, but I'm super pumped about Out the Mouth. It's some stuff we've never preached in the history of Relentless, so we'll start that next week. Come and maybe bring somebody with you. All right? Have a great week. I don't believe in fairy tales. I guess I've outgrown.